Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 11 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week, Reed Carruthers joins us to discuss his team's victory at the Canadiens Classic in Portage on the weekend. We continue our road to Summerside series with former Scottish junior champion turned Canadian William Lyburn and Teresa Breen, a two-time finalist at the Scotties who competed in the 1997 Olympic trials. In our feature interview this week, in the first of our conversations with players that have qualified for the Olympic trials in Ottawa, we speak with 2016 Scotties champion Chelsea Carey, who is looking to put a turbulent 2016-2017 season behind her with super sub and five-time Scotties champion Kathy Overton-Clapham by her side. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. Our first guest this week will be Reed Carruthers, but before we chat with Reed, here is our one-minute recap of Week 10 action from around the curling world. At the World Mixed Curling Championships in Champagne, Switzerland, Scotland defeated Canada 8-6 in the gold medal final, while the Czech Republic won the bronze medal by defeating Norway 7-6, stealing three points in the final end for the win. Team Carruthers repeated as champions at the Canadiens Classic, defeating Team Howard 6-1 in the final after Howard had beat three teams ranked in the top 10 on the way to the final while playing without third Richard Hart. At the inaugural PAF Masters in Finland, Eunjung Kim and her team from Korea defeated Team Clybrink of Alberta 7-5 in the final. At the Stroud Sleeman Cash Bill in Stroud, Ontario, Wayne Tuck and his team won the men's event, defeating Team Tippin 6-4 in an extra end, while Susan Froud and her team continued their strong play, winning the women's event by defeating Team Way 6-3 in the final. Team Robertson continued their prep for the Olympic pre-trials by defeating Team Spencer 5-3 in the women's final at the Atkins Curling Supplies Classic, while David Bowen won the men's event, a second in consecutive weeks for the team, defeating Jordan Smith 4-3 in the final. At the Pacific Northwest Mixed Doubles Invitational, the Manitoba team of Shannon Burchard and Jason Gunlockson defeated the American team of Jamie Sinclair and Corey Dropkin 6-5 for the title. As mentioned, Reed Carruthers joined us to discuss his team's victory at the Canadiens Classic in Portage this past weekend. Reed, before this week, your team had only qualified in half of the events you competed in this season and had not gotten past the quarterfinals. How satisfying was it to get over that hump and get your first title of the season at the Canadiens Classic in Portage on the weekend? It's a, obviously a great feeling. Uh, to be totally honest, we did the exact same thing last year. Kind of started slow, a couple not qualifies, and and uh, then got on a roll and won <laughs> one portage. So hopefully this is uh, almost just like deja vu. You know, we uh, uh, we peaked, seemed to peak in December last year, so hopefully we're on the right track for that. For those that weren't able to see the final versus Team Howard at the Canadiens Classic, the turning point seemed to be the fifth end where you scored four points to take a 6-1 lead that you would hold on to for the win. Can you take us through that end and how it transpired? Team Howard was playing awesome. You know, it's, it's actually very rare you see two A qualifiers playing in the final against each other. So, you know, I, I had a, after seeing the teams that they beat and some of the shots that he was making, uh, looking from a couple of sheets over, he definitely, uh, Glenn in particular, definitely seemed to be uh, playing exceptionally well, um, as you would expect out of the veteran. And, um, 
you know, I guess the the fifth end in particular uh, was one of those ones where, you know, we were up 2-1 and he was going hard for the steal or at least the force. And we got a couple breaks. It looked like one of his rocks for sure picked. And definitely a couple of their throws were maybe just a little bit soft and spots that curled. And we got a we got a break or two and managed to uh, have have an open shot for four. Just about everyone I've spoken to since I launched this podcast uh, talk about specific events, even complete seasons, as being a process. Where does that process sit for your team now with an eye towards the trials in early December? Are you still working on tweaking some things at this point, or are you more focused on simply finding your groove and then making sure you're rested once you get to Ottawa for the trials? It's still a work in progress. You know, there's been a bunch of things that we've been working on, and we brought our fifth and coach to Portage this weekend, uh, almost kind of like a trials run with having their input there and uh, they were. We had them, I guess, looking for specific things, and they were obviously seeing things that you know I hadn't thought about as well. And um, you know, we have lots of notes. Uh, you know, although this weekend we we didn't lose, it didn't mean we we played perfect. There's there's always things you can work on, and there's things that we're going to be working on for our next uh, event, the Grand Slam and Lloyd Minister. And finally, Reed, your team has played a fairly busy schedule this season compared to some of the other top teams uh, who have decreased their schedule to stay fresher for the Olympic trials. Is this simply a case of not wanting to change your routine that you would have during a regular season? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I look at our last two seasons in, in particular, and we, we had good Decembers in both of those uh, seasons with Braden not living in Winnipeg. It's either he's coming in more for practice in a season like this or we just keep doing the norm, and which is playing bond spiels. And to be honest, as long as uh, you have a coach and fifth around to uh, to take notes and, and to look for things, it, it's almost like we're – it's almost like we just treat these as practice weekends. Uh, you know, the results would be great if you, if you do well, but – uh, for us, it was very much uh, we're a team that likes to play as much as we can. Um, there's a point of overdoing it, so we're trying to avoid that. But at the same time, uh, we seem to play well the more and more we play. Like this is our third weekend in a row, and it was our best result of the season. So it's kind of interesting. It's a time for a break now, but uh, you know, getting on that role of playing a couple in a row, you seem to seem to have an easier time of getting clicking early, especially early in events. This week, we continue the road to Summerside Series by interviewing two more skips that will lead their teams into the Canadian Olympic pre-trials in Summerside PEI in November. Our first guest on the road to Summerside this week is Teresa Breen, a two-time finalist at the Scotties, while playing third for Anne Merklinger. Teresa also competed in the 1997 Olympic trials. Teresa, our audience will be familiar with you for reasons that we'll get into in a moment, but I'm wondering if you could take a moment to tell us a little bit about your current team. So I've been curling with uh, my current front end of Jocelyn Adams and Amanda Simpson for the last five years here in Nova Scotia. And so we've had uh, pretty good success over the last three years. We've uh, finished top three in Nova Scotia, uh, lost the final three years ago, finished uh, third the last two years. So we've really been uh, building on, um, you know, working hard and uh, building on our success. And uh, we do have a new player, Marley Powers, who has joined us this year. Um, she, uh, as well, had a very successful uh, junior career uh, playing out of Nova Scotia, and uh, she's actually just getting back into curling after spending the last few years as a, as a varsity volleyball player for Dalhousie. So we're really excited to have uh, kind of her sports uh, 
competitive background to bring kind of a new level of enthusiasm and uh, and, and energy to the team. Uh, so uh, so we're really super excited about uh, our success so far and uh, really super excited about the event we're heading off to in November. Earlier in your career, you played third for Anne Merklinger on a team that twice lost in the Scotties final and also competed in the 1997 Olympic trials. What could you draw from those experiences, particularly the 1997 Olympic trials, that will help your team prepare for the pre-trials? You know, it's exciting to have had that uh, that history, even though uh, it was actually pretty funny when we found out we were uh, we were getting the spot in the pre-trials. Uh, my husband pulled out a poster back from 1997, uh, uh, the Olympic trials then, and uh, it's it's hard to believe it was 20 years ago. Uh, it really seems like yesterday, and um, so I think a lot of the a lot of the things that our team back did back then in 1997 in terms of uh, preparation. Uh, both mental and physical prep, as as well as you know, just how to plan out your week when you're there. Um, those are some of the things that I can help my team with. Um, we've also added uh, Jeff Wilson as our our coach to the team uh, since we found out about getting the spot, and um, he's recently uh, helped coach some teams at the Scotties too. So, um, so he's um, you know been a valuable addition to the team uh, going into the into the trials and preparing for it. You're right; it's uh, it's definitely you know, when I look back at my career and curling career, having played in the Olympic trials is, is definitely one of the highlights. And uh, I'm sure all of us that are still around from that 1997 uh, Olympic trials uh, think back to it's just a whole new level of excitement and uh, an amazing competition uh, to participate in. So, um, uh, so you know, we'll be very excited, but hopefully, uh, hopefully that experience will, um, will help our team in, in being prepared to compete. The reality is that by the time you arrive in Summerside, your team will have seen limited action this season compared to several other teams competing there. What has your team been doing to counter your lack of game action prior to your arrival at the pre-trials? We're, we're definitely coming in with a kind of a different uh, approach than others, having just found out that we, we earned our trial spot, pre-trial spot in, uh, in July. So, you know, at that point we had already planned out, of, out our season and um, so we were only get, able to get on the ice once in August. But we do have uh, four spiels that we had on the roster to play in, and so we've already played in two of those spiels. And then we will be at uh, two spiels prior, uh, the two weekends prior to the trial. So, um, so, you know, I think, you know, we had a pretty good schedule planned. Um, sure, if we had known, uh, and I guess, you know, most of the teams really didn't find out until April anyway, so, you know, there's probably not a whole lot uh, different that we would have been able to do. Um, again, I think adding Jeff to our roster has helped us, and we've certainly uh, had regular meetings since July in terms of just planning and preparing and, uh, and you know, really had great support from the clubs around the Halifax area in terms of assisting us with additional practice ice and uh, really trying to get us on out on uh, ice conditions that will be similar to what we're going to experience in Summerside. So, so we've uh, we've worked hard and um, and tried to prepare as best we can uh, so that we're we're ready to be competitive going into the event. A lot has been made over the past few seasons about how difficult it is for teams on the East Coast, Team Gushu being the exception, to have access to the type of top tier opposition that you will see at an event such as a pre-trials whereas teams from Ontario, Manitoba, and Alberta often only have to drive a short distance to play other teams in the top 10, top 15, or top 25 in the world. How much of a challenge has it been for your team, and is this starting to change a little bit on the East Coast? Uh, you know, it's a great topic of discussion, and um, absolutely it's, 
it is the geographic challenge that we face here in eastern Canada where, um, you know, the population in our sport is just not as big as it is uh, in Ontario and West. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's tremendously expensive for us to be able to travel West to compete as well as, um, you know, really kind of make it a professional sport here because uh, the money just isn't here in terms of the bond sales. What I would say is uh, what happened a couple of years ago and, um, uh, you know, kudos to Mark Dacey. Uh, he was uh, he was very vocal in terms of uh, gathering uh, the, the top competitive teams um, together here, along with the Nova Scotia Curling Association. And we we actually sat down and had a forum where we chatted about how can we how can we make it more competitive here in Atlantic Canada. And um, it really was an excellent discussion amongst all of the men's and women's teams here about. You know how can we take ownership of this and and make ourselves more competitive on the national stage? And so uh, you know that was I I think since that time uh, a lot of teams uh, here have greatly embraced um, uh, you know taking on you know more ownership of what can we do? And so one of the things and we work very closely with the Nova Scotia Curling Association to allow um, two entries into the men's and women's provincials based on CTRS points. And so one of the things that my team actually did is we decided we would take, we, we fully agreed, as did many of the teams, and, uh, and we took on uh, going further afield to compete to play against more of the top teams across the country. So, you know, when we look at our success and being able to, to earn the spot into the pre-trials, it is because we, we did those trips to Ontario and played in, uh, played in some spiels uh, there. We haven't had the opportunity yet to play in a slam, but we've certainly had the opportunity to play against, um, you know, some of the top 20, top 30 teams in Canada, and, and also we've we've played against teams from uh, uh, international teams in those events. So, um, so I think um, you know what I've seen is uh, definitely both the men's and women's here. We're you know we're a small group, but we're we're passionate about our sport, and we're um, I'm seeing a lot more teams investing. Uh, time and resources to try and be more competitive, and you know I think we're starting to see it now with uh, with Jamie Murphy's team and our team uh, starting to earn points to get into events like the pre-trials, and uh, hopefully that can be an inspiration uh, as Brad Gushu has been for the Atlantic uh, teams to to and and Colleen Jones previous to that as well as Heather Smith to know you know uh, we have we have the resources and we have the capability be, to be able to do it. Um, but uh, it, it is definitely economically challenging just geographically where we are, but, uh, you know, you try and do what you can just to, to keep uh, stepping up in a, not, a notch year over year. And finally, Teresa, what would it mean for you to represent Canada at the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang? Absolutely. It would be an incredible honor, honor to represent both our country and our sport. Uh, for sure, Olympics, it's the biggest stage in sport, and it represents a huge commitment to get there, not by only, not by just the athletes, but as well, you know, who we represent, our, our families, our friends, our competitors that we've learned from along the way, uh, as well as those sport organizations and volunteers behind us. So uh, for sure, it's, it's definitely the pinnacle to be able to, to uh, have the journey, have the opportunity uh, to compete for this uh, this huge prize, and uh, absolutely, it would it would definitely be a thrill uh, uh, for my team to be able to achieve that. Definitely a long journey uh, ahead of all of us, but uh, super excited to be part of it. 
Our second guest on the road to Summerside this week is William Lyburn, who once represented Scotland at the World Juniors, and he was also the skip of one of the original teams involved in the Grand Slams. William, there are some in our audience that might not be familiar with you and your team. Can you tell us a little bit about your curling background and perhaps tell us a little bit about your team? Yeah, my curling background, I mean, it starts with the roots in Scotland. Uh, that's where I grew up uh, playing until uh, the age of 16. And we immigrated to Canada as a family. I was a Scottish uh, national junior champion at 16 years old. Uh, went to the World Juniors for Scotland and uh, came to Canada and lost uh Three uh, three finals in Manitoba, getting out to the Canadian Juniors, and then progressed into men's. And uh, I've always been kind of knocking on the door at the provincial level and the you know the quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, but a province of Manitoba's depth is extremely tough to get out of. I was one of the original um, skips in the the Grand Slam events uh, when they started in 2002. I skipped exclusively for two years on the Grand Slam event. Then my brother and I rejoined uh, back together uh, based on the uh, the actually uh, Olympic uh, Great Britain Olympics were looking at us for Turin, so we actually joined forces again and played back together here in Canada on the on the cash circuit. And uh, as I said, some uh, politics got in the way with regards to uh, the the British Curling Association didn't have all their ducks lined up properly, and we ended up not. Uh, not being chosen to go to the uh, the Olympics in Turin, and so then we back back into the skip and roll. A couple of years later, I had taken a few years off and back in the skip and roll, um, and really got things started again in 2012, and that's when we lost uh, lost out to uh, uh, Rob Fowler in the semifinals of the Manitoba. I was the all-star skip. At that provincial level, but I went to the Briar as the fifth man with with that team Manitoba in 2012, and that really kind of got my juices kind of going again. And and uh, since then, we've been I've been you know piecing together some teams over the years. Uh, this team, uh, um, unfortunately, the last three years has had one new player added or deleted to the team, and it always takes a bit of adjustment getting used to. This is the first year uh, that we never made any adjustments. This team has been the same, same team, same lineup uh, as as last year, um, and we've come out the gate, you know, very well. You know, last year we got to travel to China as Team Canada. Uh, we won the silver medal in an international event uh, as Team Canada in China last year, losing the final to Alsrud. So we have experience of some travel and and. Uh, Really, for us, that was that we felt that was great preparation for the upcoming uh, Olympic trials. Now, although your team may not be as well known across the curling universe as some others, your group still has experience at the Olympic trials and pre-trials. How have you worked as a group to leverage that experience in preparation for Summerside? Uh, we're doing it together. We don't really need to, uh, as far as the pre-trials and that stuff goes, uh, Rich to know that uh, plays third. Uh, Rich played, he was a front-end player with Kerry Burtnick for a number of years. He'd been to a number of briars, uh, and uh, you know, Rich has also been to the pre-trials with Kerry, um, Braden Zawada that plays lead. He was at the uh, trials, pre-trials and and trials back in uh, the two cycles ago uh, with Gunlickson. Actually, um, that was when they had a breakthrough uh, year, um, number of years ago. Those pre-trials and trials is where Braden's been at. Um, so we kind of we do have a lot of people don't really know that, <laughs> but but we 
kind of have that experience. So the 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 pretrial is not going to be uh, is not going to be anything new for us. Uh, the teams that are there, uh, we're pretty confident in uh, you know grabbing one of those two spots. Your team is now qualified for the playoffs in each of your events this year, including at the Tour Challenge Tier 2 event where you reached the final. That's got to help with your team's level of confidence as you prepare for the Olympic pretrials. Oh, I mean, yes. I mean, we clearly see some things that we need to work on in the next in the next couple of weeks after we get through the... Uh, um, we basically set ourselves up to play basically five events prior to uh, PI. We got a couple of weeks off which we want to go into there well rested. We know that it's a long week, uh, and and so yeah, like I mean, we're happy with with our start, but we're also it also uh, gives us a gauge of of the things that we need to tighten up on in, in the couple of weeks uh, leading up to PEI. We're trying not to think too much about too much too far advanced to the event. Um, simply fact that you know like uh, there'll be enough thinking when you when we arrive there. But uh, we we need to be well rested and uh, and prepped on on a, on a few things. But yeah, we're happy. Like we we've qualified for the the Boost uh, Grand Slam event in uh, in November after the trial. So um, that was one of our goals is to get there either by you know obviously the uh, losing the final of the Tier Two um, took away from getting to the Slam here in a couple of weeks. Um, but we managed to work hard and and. Uh, and get ourselves into the uh, the slam in in middle of November. So, so that's that's all trending in the right direction. So uh, yeah, we just gotta want to go and finish off a um, you know our event here in Portage coming up this weekend. We want to finish strong in that, and then uh, then we got a couple of weeks to kind of work on our games a little bit. And finally, William, what would it mean for you to someday represent Canada at the Olympic Games? You know, obviously, it's it's a it's a question that everybody said they'd love to do. It's not something that uh, I've grown up around curling thinking about uh, going to the Olympics. Uh, the Briars, uh, probably my uh, my direction that that um, I've always really strived to try and get to. Um, the Olympics is something totally different. Um, I, I guess um, our our goal is to would be to get to the trials. If we can get to the trials, then I'm not really, uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I wouldn't expect us to be the team um, standing at the end of the day um, um, to be Team Canada's representative in the Olympics. But with that being said, uh, if we have an opportunity, we'd, we'd definitely uh, <laughs> definitely love to, to take on that experience. <laughs> It's now time for this week's Fresh Pebble, your news and notes from the world of curling. As mentioned earlier, the World Mixed Curling Championships took place in Champagne, Switzerland last week, with Scotland, skipped by Grant Hardy, who will be a guest on next week's podcast, defeating Canada in the final. The Czech Republic won its first ever medal at the World Mixed Championship, defeating Norway in the bronze medal game. Among the other teams that impressed at the Mixed Worlds were Turkey and Estonia, who both reached the quarterfinals before losing to Norway and the Czech Republic, respectively. Curling Canada announced that the 2019 Tim Hortons Briar will be played in Brandon, Manitoba. It will be the third time that the Tim Hortons Briar has been staged in Brandon. Most recently in 1982, Northern Ontario's Al Hackner captured his first of two Briar titles in an event that gave birth to the now world-famous Briar Patch. While in 1963, it was the legendary Ernie Richardson capping his amazing run of four Canadian men's titles in five years. 
At the Wetzikon wheelchair curling event in Switzerland last week, a team skipped by Viljo Pedersen Dahl of Sweden won the title by going an undefeated 6-0 in the round-robin event. Radoslav Duras of Slovakia, Sun Sokso of Korea, and Felix Wagner of Switzerland finished tied for second at 4-2. A quick note to highlight that the season premiere of the popular Curling Legends podcast will be published on October 23rd. The first guest this season is Wally Ursulak, longtime lead for Hector Gervais, and a global influence on the sport through his curling camps with Ray Turnbull and Don Duguid. The Curling Legends podcast will be posted each Monday this curling season, and Marilyn Bodo, Arnold Asham, Peya Lindholm, Paul Trulson, Larry Wood, and Lorraine Lang will be among the guests. Our feature interview this week, the first in a series with key figures that will be participating at the Olympic trials in Ottawa, is 2016 Scottish champion Chelsea Carey, who is coming off a difficult season as the reigning Canadian champion that included a late-season lineup change. Chelsea and I discussed the current season, we recap what has been a momentous Olympic cycle for her filled with ups and downs, and we look ahead to the Olympic trials in Ottawa, where Team Carey could be one of those teams that pass under the radar and straight into contention for that Olympic spot. Chelsea, before we look back on the current Olympic cycle and look ahead to the trials, I wanted to take a second to touch base on the solid start your team has had this season. You've qualified in each of the events you've entered and you've made one final. How would you characterize your team's season so far? It's been very good considering, you know, that we're adjusting to a new player and we've had to uh, had to kind of try to accelerate that process. So we're really happy with having qualified in, in all those events. Obviously, we'd like to win one and, and be getting to finals and things. But the biggest thing for us was to feel like we were getting better and better and more cohesive uh, as a unit moving through those early events. We played a little bit more early than we probably normally would in the trials year just because we did want to make sure we had that enough time to kind of settle into the new systems and communication and all that kind of thing. And we do feel like we're doing that. It's gotten stronger and stronger every event, and we're just going to look to continue to grow with that as we move towards trials. Your team had to make a lineup change late last season after the retirement of Amy Nixon. In came veteran Kathy Overton-Clapham, a five-time Scottish champion and 2008 world champion who has also participated in a couple of previous Olympic trials. Now, typically it takes a while for even elite curlers to gel as a unit, but your team seems to have done it fairly quickly. Is that due to the adaptability of a veteran like Kathy, or is it due to off-season work you may have done as a unit in preparation for the current season? I think it's a combination of those two things for sure. Um, certainly Kathy's proved that she's very adaptable and, and able to kind of come in and, and fit in right away. She's a bit of a chameleon that way, which is an incredible skill for, for any player, but certainly for a third to be able to kind of do that. And, and that's, you know, we've seen that in the results of, of her of her sparing at slams and, and winning them and making finals and things. I mean, plenty of teams on tour that haven't had that good a record. I mean, basically every team on tour hasn't had that good a record with their own actual team. So it's been impressive to watch, and that was certainly part of the discussion when we decided to ask Kathy to join our team was that we knew she would be able to do that. So that's part of it for sure. We did also put in a fair bit of effort in the summer to try to get together. We went to Edmonton to practice in, in a number of different combinations and, and spent some time together in, in Winnipeg and, and met our coach out in Moncton before the, uh, before the Everest event. So we did put in a bunch of time as well, and like I say, we planned our schedule playing more early than, than most teams and more than we probably normally would have liked to in a trials year just because we, we knew we needed that time and, and just those repetitions with the new player. So I think it's both of those things um, for sure. It's a combination of the two. I'm assuming that after leading your team to a fourth place finish at the 2013 trials, you didn't anticipate having so much turnover on your team during this current Olympic cycle. How difficult has it been for you both on and off the ice to be involved in so many lineup changes over the past four seasons? 
Yeah, it can be tough for sure. But at the same time, if if it doesn't gel, if the chemistry is not there, then it's better. It's a better option than trying to make something work that's not working. So you got to make those decisions as you go and and that's kind of how it goes we're really happy with our with our four that we have now and we think we have as good a chance as we possibly could have coming in we're we're ecstatic with the lineup that we've got and and feel like we are giving ourselves the best chance we can to play well in Ottawa. You and I have had the chance to discuss your Scotty's victory on a couple of occasions in the past 18 months or so, but I've never asked you what impact winning the Scotties and representing Canada for a season as its reigning women's champion had on you both on and off the ice. Well, part of it is a confidence thing to, to sort of know that you can win and that you're capable of that and that, that kind of thing. So I think that positive side is certainly that. And and, I mean, it's a great experience. It's the most humbling experience I've ever had wearing the Maple Leaf. It's incredible. So I feel very lucky to have been able to do that, and I would love to get a chance to do it again, obviously, is what we're hoping for this year. It's, it's, you know what to expect a little bit more after you've done it. It's a pretty steep, I found it to be a pretty steep learning curve the first time with just with just the pressure and, and all that stuff that, that goes with wearing that, wearing that Maple Leaf. So if I got the chance to do it again, I'd be better prepared to do it for sure because I just kind of know what to expect and it's one of those where everyone can explain that to you but until you live through it you don't really truly understand it so I think that uh, now that we've all had that experience certainly we would I mean I think Lainey and Kathy obviously have had it quite a bit more uh, and were prepared for it last time more so than I was because it was my first time so having all had that experience I think is a very good thing if you were to win just just being prepared for what that's going to be like and obviously the Olympics isn't even is a much bigger spotlight like if, if world felt big I, I can't imagine how much bigger the Olympics is going to be but at least you have some general idea of the kind of things you're going to go through. One of the changes that Curling Canada made to the qualifying process for the Olympic trials in the current cycle was that a team winning the Scotties in the two seasons leading to the trials would only get a direct entry if they reached the podium at the World Championships. Now, your team fell just short of reaching the podium in 2016, losing to Russia in the bronze medal game at the Worlds. In hindsight, was that loss essentially the beginning of the end for that particular lineup, which included Amy Nixon at third? No, I don't think that loss had anything to do with that, to be honest with you. Um, you'd have to ask Amy why she chose to leave. That's not, uh, it wasn't obviously a team decision. It was her decision, and, and we respect it, and that's fine, and we're very happy with uh, how it all worked out for us, quite frankly. So we're, we're happy with it, but I don't think that loss was the impetus for her to decide to retire. I'll ask bring a short video clip made the rounds on social media of your reaction when you first realized that your team had qualified directly for the trials and you seemed to get emotional. How much of a relief was it to get that direct spot in the trials and avoid the pre-trials after the disappointment at the World Championships in 2016? Yeah, we'd accepted the fact that, you know, there was a pretty good chance we were going to end up in the pre-trials at that point. So certainly I'd mentally prepared myself for that. And then the tough, the toughest part was that we weren't even at the event. So we couldn't, we had no control over it at the, at the very end there. We just had to watch and hope for things to happen. So I think that's where the emotions get going. If you're actually playing, you, you don't get caught, you can't get caught up in those emotions. You just focus on, on the task at hand. But when you're not there, it's a lot easier to kind of get carried away with those emotions and, and, um, yeah, we, we needed this team to win and that team to lose, and, and that's just not a situation where you feel like it's going to kind of go your way, and, and it did. It just so happened that it did. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a, an emotional moment because it is big to be straight into the trials. Uh, I was lucky enough to go that way the last time as well, and it just takes off. It's, it's mostly just the, ta- the how taxing the extra huge event is on you. So now you've got to peak for the pre-trials in November, 
and then you're so excited that you won that and there's a rush of emotions and everything else and then you only have a couple weeks to kind of come back down and then peak again I mean that's tough about the provincials and the Scotties in the world the same way it's tough with this and, and it's even more magnified when it's the Olympics so it's nice to not have to go through that emotional roller coaster and, and try to come back down and, and then prepare to peak again a couple weeks later kind of thing so we uh, we like where we're at, and, and we're trying to take advantage of that by planning our season appropriately and making sure we're we're rested and recovered and really just prepared for for the trials when we get there. As mentioned, you finished fourth at the 2013 Olympic trials. How did the experience you gained in 2013 help you in setting up a plan for the 2017 trials? I think it's a lot of a lot of it. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's a lot like the, the you know being in Canada, just knowing what to expect. The trials is a different animal, and again, you can be told all you want, all you want, what to expect. And at that time, all four of us on my team at, at the 2013 trials were rookies at the trials, so none of us really knew what to expect. We we'd been told, and we talked to people, and used all the resources that we had, but you can't possibly know until you've been there. So this time, having having that experience myself, and having a team with that experience, aside from Joss, but. She's very adaptable, so I'm not too worried about her, and, and the other three of us certainly have been through that. So I think that that's a big thing, just just kind of being prepared for the spectacle that it's going to be and everything else. It's also magnified for me a lot at the last um, trials because we were – I'm from Winnipeg, and I still lived there at that time, and, and the trials was in my home arena where I watched the Jets play and all that stuff, where this time that's going to be the experience for Rachel's team, not for our team sort of thing. So. So that'll be a, it'll be a little bit less media attention. It'll be a little less all of that stuff than the last trials too, which I think is a good thing. We don't mind being the team that kind of flies under the radar a little bit. That doesn't bother me at all. Speaking of passing under the radar, heading into the trials, many will have their eye on perennial favorites such as Team Holman, Team Jones, and Team Sweeting, and perhaps on some of the teams that had breakthrough seasons last season, such as Team Flaxy and Team Scheidegger. Do you think that it might almost be playing into your hand that as a recent Scotties champion, you might be one of the teams with the least external pressure on you heading into Ottawa? Yeah, I don't mind it at all. I mean, that's, uh, that's a familiar position for me personally and and it never bothers me to be that team so i yeah it doesn't uh i'm i'm not i'm not crying about people not you know going well she won the scotties in 2016 she should be a favorite that that's totally fine with me i'm just as happy to fly under the radar Obviously, the focus for you right now is preparing for the Olympic trials in Ottawa, but you've also had some success this season in mixed doubles, along with your partner Colin Hodgson of Team Carruthers. I realize that the ultimate goal is to represent Canada in Pyeongchang with your four-person team, but what have you and Colin been doing to prepare for the mixed doubles trials should neither of your teams win in the four-person event in Ottawa? Yeah, it, it's tough to do both, to be honest. Um, we, our schedules are so busy with our regular teams that that's why we played in that early event, because we knew it would be the only one we would have a chance to play in before the trials, because there's just not a weekend. I mean, you have weekends off, but you need them. You know, like we don't want to go crazy adding a whole bunch of extra events to an already busy season. So uh, our first commitment is to our four-person teams, our traditional teams, and, and we both acknowledge that, and I, mean, I think that's the case for every any any mixed double team whose members are on four person teams that have a chance at the Olympics. So I think everyone's in the same boat. So we're going to uh, look at having a, a weekend where either he comes to Calgary or I go to Winnipeg and spend some time practicing together and that kind of thing. The good thing for me is that when, like, so I'm going to Portage, we're playing Portage this weekend and I'll go for rocks with my dad, who's their coach as well. So that makes it easier because we, we kind of have the same you know, my dad obviously has sort of built my throw and my slide and everything else, and now he's he's helping them with theirs. So 
we, we it, t it tends to go pretty easy for us once we get going. We, we often don't play well in our first game in mixed doubles, but usually after that we get it figured out. So we'll, we'll have a practice weekend, and then we'll, if you, you have a few weeks in the, at the end of December there before the mixed doubles trials, if you, if you don't win, I, we would probably look at, and I mean, again, those trials are important, so likely it would be me going to Winnipeg a bit early and spending some time there with, with him and, and just throwing some rocks and setting up some exhibition games and all that kind of thing because I think you're going to see every basically every mixed doubles team with four person um, with a realistic four person chance scrambling at the last minute to put in some extra time for doubles. It's just unfortunately there's not really a way around that right now with the way that the structure is. And finally, Chelsea, I know it's a little bit of a cliche questions to ask athletes attempting to qualify for the Olympics, but I was wondering what it would mean to you to win at the trials in Ottawa and represent Canada in Pyeongchang. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to put into words. I mean, it's um. When I was little, the Olympics were curling wasn't a medal sport yet, um, so my my initial dream was the Scotties. But as soon as as soon as it became an Olympic sport, it, it shifted for I think everyone that your dream went from wanting to went from being winning the Briar or the Scotties to to winning the winning the Olympics. And and not that the Scot the Scotties was an absolute dream come true when we won it. And wearing maple leaf was something I wanted to do my entire life, and I was lucky enough to do it in Swift Current. And and despite the results being not quite what we wanted was an amazing experience and uh, like it can't even imagine uh, what it would be like to go to the Olympics but I hope that at some point in my life I don't have to ideally uh, this December. And that does it for episode 11 of the From the Hack podcast. My thanks to all of our guests. Join us next week for more interviews with some of the key personalities from the curling world. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FromTheHack and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Frank Rock and this is From the Hack.